Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I am your co-host, Agnes. And I'm your other co-host, Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, mental health, family dynamics, and feminism. We're very grateful you could join us today. So this week's episode is all about attachment styles, where Margaret just sounded super smart the entire time. <laughs> Aw, thank you. I mean, I don't feel smart, but I I accept the compliment. Thank you. <laughs> so we dive into what attachment theory is and some of the history of that and studies that have come up. And attachment theory, what that comes down to is it's a focus on the different relationships between people. And it all starts with the relationship between a caregiver and a child. And then we carry that blueprint throughout life. And that shows up in our other relationships and romantic relationships as well. So we get into some of the details and the science behind that. And then we share about how some of that has shown up in our own life. So Agnes, how did you feel recording this episode? Well, I feel like I know myself a little bit more and I feel more awakened to understanding a lot of the habits that I've had in my life and um, really clearing up a lot of the confusion on the way that I react to certain things in my life. And now I'm able to have more, like you said, like a blueprint and going back and, and understanding that these specific things that happen between me and my parents is such a direct um, influence on a lot of the ways that I react and um, perceive life right now. And you and I kind of got into some juicy details, too, about our relationships. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, past relationships, dynamics in our current relationships, all that stuff. So um, we'll have to let our, our uh, significant others know that they're going to be featured on today's episode. And roasted. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, dude, I think I roasted myself more than anybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talk about calling yourself out. That's this episode. <laughs> Truly. All right. We hope you all enjoy learning about attachment theory with us. Hello. Hey. <laughs> we got. We just got over our technical difficulty glitch, so now we're in the clear. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret, I have to say, I was going to pull my camera, but when your picture froze just now, you made the funniest face with your eyes all wide. It was so funny. Oh. Of course, that's what always happens. <laughs> but I do have to say that today, Margaret, you look like a licensed professional. She's got her glasses in. She's on. She's got her hair all curly. She looks very Aww. fancy and she's holding a pen. Mm -hmm. You look yeah, like you have your shit together. I do not, but I'm glad you think I look like it. <laughs> Okay, today we're talking all about attachment theory and attachment styles. So this is something I've had to study a lot in social work school. Like I, I think it comes up in like every single class. Um, but I definitely had to do a little bit of research just to refresh my memory on some things and, you know, get dates and studies and all that, all those little tidbits of facts. But Agnes, how about you? What's, what's your background with attachment theory? Like when did you first hear about it in attachment styles? So I first heard about attachment theory, um, oh shit, what was it, Easter of 2021, and the family was all together for the holiday, and we were out at dinner, 
And you and our other sister were going in this deep conversation about attachment <laughs> styles. I'm like at the other side of the table, like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> but but I, that's the first time I heard about it. And then I kind of reflected on it uh, just a little like briefly throughout since then. It's been like, what, nine, ten months, nine months since then. So um, I, I and I don't know too much about it, but I remember what was it about a week ago you had asked me. Um, you know, I think our next episode, we want to talk about attachment styles. And I was like, oh, fuck, I got to do my homework. (laughs) So, so yeah, that's been kind of the extent of it. So I'm definitely a newbie on this topic, but from the homework that I've done, it's actually really fascinating. And luckily Margaret here knows a lot about it and has a lot of that, um, educational like background on it. So she's going to be the information source for all of this. (laughs) Well, and I'll also link some sources that I looked at just to, you know, brush up with my memory on some of this stuff. And this is like, I mean, attachment style and attachment theory, I think it's like really mainstream now. Like, it's not just a concept that you have to like get a degree in psychology or social work to understand. I see more and more people that are aware of that, you know, and aware of the different types of attachments that we have with people in our lives based on the type of attachments we had with our caregivers. So... To give, though, a little just brief background, you know, attachment theory is focused on the relationships and the bonds between people, especially focuses on like long term relationships, including those between parents and child. And also a lot of people look at their romantic partners as well, the attachment style that comes up from that. So that's kind of what this is about, is really that connection between human beings and the different styles, because they can be very different depending on your upbringing. So um, John Bowlby, and I'm probably totally butchering his name, he's like the father of attachment theory, at least what we know. I'm pretty sure that, you know, because a lot of, I just, I definitely want to say this right out the gate, a lot of information that we have here um, in our Western civilizations with psychology, a lot of it is comes from a lot of European psychologists. There's actually like a lot of controversy around this. Like a lot of the information we have basically comes from like white men. And really a lot of the information that these white men have found and put through empirical studies have been like common knowledge all around the world for centuries, primarily within communities of people of color and indigenous culture. So I do want to just like name that right out the gate, even though John Balby is cited in a lot of psychology textbooks, you know, and he's kind of considered like the grandfather of attachment theory. I am a lot of the information I've learned that he studied. I'm like, oh, I know for sure that mamas have known about this stuff for hundreds of years. So (laughs) just want to say that. So anyway, John Balby, um, you know, realized that there are lasting psychological connections between human beings. And so he wanted to study that. So early, like early behavioral theories or theorists thought that attachment was like a learned behavior. And that it was just merely the result of a caregiver feeds a baby and then the baby's attached to the caregiver because the caregiver's feeding them. So what John Balby discovered is that all this didn't exactly add up, that there's actually more to it. Attachment is an emotional bond between the caregiver and the child. So it's not even necessarily about food, but it's about that emotional connection. And early bonds between the parent 
and the child set the blueprint for the rest of that child's life of the types of relationships that they're going to have. So Balby viewed the attachment uh, attachment between people as an evolutionary process. So children are born with an innate drive to form attachments. And I know Brene Brown talks about this all the time in her work, but like we are literally wired for connection. And so we really like learn that from this work. So there's different themes when it comes to attachment theory. Um, Primary caregivers are responsive to the infant's needs, which then allow the child to develop a sense of security. When the child knows that the caregiver is dependable, then it gives them a secure base so that they can go out and explore the world. So like you'll see like a mom or a dad like interacting with like a little like infant that's crawling around or like a, what is that? That's not really infant stage, but like baby crawling around and you'll see the baby and the, and the caregiver connecting and like the, the baby's like cooing and making noises and then the parents like responding back to the child and then the child will kind of like crawl away, you know, and like crawl into the next room and go see what's there, but then kind of come back and check in with the caregiver. So when the child feels secure, they're able to like take risks and venture out into the world and explore new things and know that they can always come back to the caregiver and the caregiver is always going to be there for them. Um, there actually, there's some cool YouTube videos. Um, I had to see these a lot in school and it kind of talks about that or there's studies on that, that connection between the caregiver and child. It's actually called the still face experiment and it was done by Dr. Edward Tronick. Um, so basically he would have like parents and, and babies in the study and the baby would be like, you know, babbling and cooing and like waving, waving their arms around. And the parents would be like, yeah, you're, you know, you're a good boy and good girl. And, you know, just like responding and interacting with the baby and the baby gets all excited, you know, and it's really cute. And then the, um, Dr. Tronic would tell the parent now make your face completely stone cold still. And the parent would just like literally just shut down and just like kind of stare off and not respond at all. And you'd see the babies, they, they get like frustrated and they're like waving their arms and they start like kind of screeching and they're trying and trying to like get the parent's attention. And eventually when the parent doesn't respond, the child breaks down like crying. And then, and then the doctor tells the parent, you can now engage. And then the parent kind of is like, oh, I'm right here, you know. And then the child like calms down and is like soothed by that connection. So it's such a like powerful example of really like how connected um, caregivers and children are. And when the parent is not responding to the child's emotional needs, like how devastating that is, how frustrating that is for the child, even at such a young age. So anyway, I'm rambling on. Any questions so far, Agnes? (laughs) I do have to add to this that I had firsthand experience um, back when I was 17. I helped take care of my nephew Mm -hmm. and um, there were just issues altogether. I think like um, with the the advice that the mother was given on how to take care of her child and how to um, feed her child, a lot of that ended up becoming... Um, kind of uh, traumatizing for the kid so I remember like I would take care of him 
And he had a really bad anxious attachment style. So mm-hmm. you'll see this a lot in, in, in babies or toddlers where they just want to be held all day. Or if you don't like play with them or you're not with them all day, it causes such a um, like a panic for them. And then it ends up just like overwhelming everyone. And it's interesting how you're bringing up the whole concept of food because I remember uh, with this particular situation, the mother wanted to keep the child on a like a, a really strict like feeding schedule um, throughout infancy. So, you know, you can only feed every it was like three to four hours, which is, you know, not healthy. So it ended up causing the child to have se- like a severe anxious um, attachment style or just like feel like a lot of anxiety around when it came to food and when it came to um, having any sort of attachment with the caregiver whatsoever. Yeah, that's really interesting. I actually like, I, I remember when I had Brayden, you know, when you're, you're going home from the hospital, the doctors and the nurses all tell you, you know, you want to be nursing or bottle feeding every two to three hours when they're little. And so it's, I know it's important like early, like in the first few weeks of life to really keep that consistency. But as the child gets older, like I know with Brayden, I had to just be very intuitive and just very in tune with his needs because every baby is going to be totally different. And some babies just naturally are a little more independent and some babies just naturally need more attention. Um, And really it's up to the caregiver to be able to like understand what that particular child's needs are and respond appropriately to them instead of trying to like hang on to this rigid structure of like well this is what I know the right thing is I'm going to follow it even if it's not correct for my specific child so I think that's like super important yeah definitely I mean, I'm not a parent myself, but I, I've done a lot of nannying and caretaking for children um, myself. And I really do see like how important it is for people, I guess, to do like their their own organic research because there's so much that's being fed to them by like doctors and professionals. And of course, like their um, opinion is uh, important and there's a, a very long education behind their opinion and their advice. But like Margaret said, like every single child is completely different. And as a mother, like you're the only one that can really be intuitive with your child and understand what they need. So I was talking about John Balby and how he founded this whole attachment theory, but the work kind of continues. So in the 1970s, there was a researcher by the name of Mary Ainsworth, and she's the one that really started um, like studying uh, or putting into studies the attachment theory and like seeing how it was going to play out and that's where you actually get the different styles so there were these studies where children between the ages of 12 and 18 months were being brought into a room with their caregivers and then the caregiver would get up and leave the room and leave the child in the room with a stranger And you see these babies all reacting in different ways. And so through this study, they were able to identify 
the different types of attachment styles and you can see how they show up between the child and caregiver. And so actually from this study, we get this, we get three main attachment styles. And then the fourth one is added, was added later. So the three main ones that were discovered in this are secure attachment. That, that's the good one. There's ambivalent insecure attachment and avoidant insecure attachment. And then, of course, later on, researchers Maine and Solomon added the fourth attachment style, which is considered disorganized insecure attachment. Um, but that one's actually not really common. I believe only like 7 to 15% of children in the United States experience that one. So it's not quite as common. But of course, like ever since then, this is the 1970s, there's been so many studies since then that have just continued to expand on this research and continue to support and reaffirm the findings that were, you know, that, that came up in this. Um, let's talk briefly about the types of attachments, like what they mean, because Agnes, you and I have talked briefly about this. Um, and there's like tests online and everything you can take to kind of get an idea but secure attachment, so a secure attachment, and this is what, what showed up in uh, Ainsworth's study, that's when a child is upset when the caregiver leaves the room, but they are able to be reassured that mom or dad is going to actually come back. So they're upset about being like, you know, being taken away, but they like, they know that, that they're going to come back and everything's going to be okay. And then when the caregiver comes back into the room, they're really happy to see them. Um, ambivalent attachment that's the one that's pretty uncommon and that one really is like it, there's I'm not too familiar with this one because again it's not very common and I haven't studied it very much um, I understand that one is like uh, more so happens when the caregiver is like rarely in the child's life like they really don't have a very consistent or very like um, very often like connect with them so I'll kind of breeze through that one and then the other one, which actually I is kind of unfortunately my main default in life, is the avoidant attachment. So that is when the child will just avoid the caregiver. Um, and they won't even really have a preference for the caregiver or the stranger. Like the parent will like leave the room and the child just kind of doesn't care. And then the caregiver comes back and the child doesn't even care or is not really excited to see the caregiver. That's often found to be a result of abuse or neglect. It also can arise when the child has been punished for relying on the caregiver in some way or has been shamed for relying on the caregiver. And then it makes them kind of disconnect and not want to seek help from them in the future. And then the other one would be, uh, let's see, disorganized attachment. Oh, I must have gotten these mixed up. Disorganized is more... I think the disorganized, I think that might be like the the anxious one that we've talked about, Agnes. And that one is like a confusing mix of behavior. Um, it's like, th like there could be like a lot of anxiety, um, confusion, um, and like avoiding or resisting the caregiver. So that's kind of like some of the stuff that came up in the initial studies here. It looks like well, you know, they've proven with attachment styles, it really is rooted in the um, early years of a child and up until um, a child is living with their parents and the relationship mm -hmm. that they have with their parents, which then, um, you know, as they become adults, it then manifests into their relationships and their friendships and everything else in their life. So for you, 
um, you mentioned that you have more of an avoid an, an avoidant attachment style. So um, let's elaborate. Like, let's go back when you were a kid. How? Why do you feel like you have this? And what were some of your experiences that you reflect on now that make you realize that you were avoidant? Yeah. I think that's an interesting question because first off, it's a little, it, I think it can be a little challenging to be able to remember the type of relationship we had with our caregiver because the most critical moments, and a lot of people don't really realize this, but really the most critical moments in a child, the development of a child's brain and setting that blueprint for the relationships for their life, that really happens in the first like few years of life. Like there's this misconception out there that, oh, like if a baby goes through trauma or like a young, like three or four year old goes through trauma, oh, they're resilient. They'll bounce back. They won't remember. They'll be fine. Actually, that's not true. The younger a child is um, going through traumatic situations or not having that secure attachment to the caregiver, the worse off it's going to be. So um, it can be challenging, I think, because not many of us really remember much of our lives before the ages of like five or six. And by that point, a lot of the damage is done, you know, or, you know, or hopefully there's not damage that has been done during that time. Um, But I think like when I look back at my childhood, I can kind of see like the type, like how I felt towards mom and dad and the type of relationships I had with them. And that kind of gives me a little bit of insight into what must have happened in my early years. Like I know for me and Agnes, I, you probably got this too, like with the later generation of the family, there's so much of that, like that whole shaming shaming the children for having emotions, right? Like stop that crying. You're overreacting. Like anytime there's like negative emotions going on, it's shamed and you're not allowed to feel them. So I know like for me, like I just like I went through periods of my childhood where like I would I would try so hard to not cry. And I used to like keep a tally in my head of like the last time I cried. It was like a fucking record. Like I would set like records for myself to not cry because it was like this shameful thing to cry. And so I really would like, I never felt safe like showing my emotions um, because it was just such a shameful experience. And I think with mom, like I, I know like with mom, I think most of us had more of a connection with mom because she was around more and she was the primary caregiver. But like mom just, you know, not her fault, but she just didn't have the space and the capacity to really be present with us as kids. And I know by the time I was like five or six years old, you know, there was already like three or four kids. So I know I wasn't getting the attention that I needed. And so I just kind of sort of developed this like this sense of I have, I can't trust anyone. So I'm just going to withdraw inward and I just have to figure this shit out on my own. So I think that's really where the avoidant attachment comes from. And like I'm 30 years old now and I still struggle with it. I think it's better um, but I still like um, when I'm really stressed out and like Casey can speak on this as well, my partner. But like when I get really stressed out, I like kind of shut down. Like I get really quiet. Like I withdraw inward. I don't like to talk about my feelings. Like it's really, really hard for me to like feel what I'm feeling and like name it and then like actually like say it to a person and like feel safe having that conversation. 
Wow. And I really want to touch on the whole idea of like us growing up and the shame around feeling emotions. And I actually did the same exact thing, um, keeping tallies in my head for how long it's been since I cried. And I can look back and really remember the times where I felt like so hot headed and you just feel the tears coming to your eyes and you just are, you're so ready to just start crying and having to like choke back the tears, like literally choke it back. I have had to do that so many times. Um, you know, whether I'm in a a room full of people or I'm around people, their siblings that I know are going to shame me. And when I was around 12 years old, I remember my brother and I, we used to gang up on the other siblings. And I remember it being an insult. One of my sisters, she was around the time of uh, beginning puberty and she's like probably 13, 14. And so she was a little extra sensitive and we used to gang up on her and we used to always be like, you're so sensitive. Why are you being so sensitive? Or, oh, you're going to go cry now or just really make fun of her for um, having feelings and being sensitive. So, I, I mean, I grew out of that phase, but, you know, as an adult now, I, I look at that and I'm like, holy shit, that is really fucked up. And I mean, I know like that that's something that I even tell myself all the time, like, well, you, you should just be grateful. You should stop being sensitive. And it's such like a constant reminder that is like, that I have like manifested into my life because of the environment that we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Now, what is your attachment style? Have you been able to identify like what your attachment style was with the caregivers in the house and how that manifests now in your life? Yeah. So after doing research and taking a quiz and everything, I, um, I really see myself on the, like having, um, an, an anxious attachment style. So growing up, my mom and I had, um, a really weird relationship. I've kind of elaborated on it in the past, but, um, I've seen a lot, like I was kind of always like in the shadow of when my mother was like being physically abused and I've always like kind of saw it. And because of that, I think it kind of created for me a, um, a more emotional bond with my mom. And I've said this in the past, like I used to like go in my mom's room and just like sleep next to her up until I was probably like six or seven years old. I I was like super emotionally connected to her. However, my mom, you know, she's not, no parent is a perfect parent. She went through a lot and there were rocky roads. Like there were times where we'd be screaming at each other or, Um, There really was a disconnect or I felt like she didn't love me or just, you know, stuff like that. So that was the um, unorganization of our relationship. And, you know, sometimes like there's moments where we're super emotionally bonded. And this is even now um, where we're, we're very, very close. And then other times where I'm just so angry with her and, you know, we're really not bonding. So that is what initially causes an anxious attachment style and now as an adult I'm able to like I you know doing the research and really reading about this it fits like my relationships now so exactly like I I really see it every single day and in my relationships and my friendships and I do also have a little bit of like the avoidant attachment style 
Um, I think I kind of like it kind of fluctuates depending on like what season of life I'm in. But for the most part, I do have an anxious attachment style. And I think actually you just touched on something that I really want to like touch on as well as we're having this conversation, it's not so clear cut in black and white. Like even though you took a test that said you have an anxious attachment style, it doesn't mean that that's like the attachment, the only attachment style that you have. That might be like the one that that shows up in most of your relationships in life. That might've been the one that you had with mom. But, you know, there's other caregivers and other people that we had in our lives, too. And different, like, we can kind of fluctuate, I think, as you said, in different seasons of life. And for me, I know that different relationships have kind of triggered different things in me. Um, and I didn't realize, like, I had that. So, and I, and I think that's common. I've heard people talk about that. Like, oh, like, you know, my this one friend and I have a very secure attachment style, but then I, I got this new friend and this friend, like suddenly I have like all this like emotion and I'm like really needy and I don't know why. And so like you can have a secure attachment with some people and then like other people will kind of bring up like other stuff that kind of will blindside you. So I kind of have been thinking about like dad because I think I've like, I think I've kind of like done most of my reflection with my attachment style around mom, but I actually, I'm like, I'm not really sure like what it was with dad because like definitely like I don't, I never felt bonded to dad like at all. Um, Really when he was around, I was just mostly scared or like just really uncomfortable. So it's, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I think, I think I can speak for most of us in our family. Whenever dad was around, we were just trying to get the hell out of the room, <laughs> you know, and stay as invisible as possible. So I think that that, like, I think that can be avoided attachment style, but I think also, I mean, I don't know if it would be like the disorganized one or something like, because there was so much like fear and sense of unsafety around him. It's, I don't know. Oh, it's, absolutely. And that's something I also, because after, like doing all this research, I, most of um, what I'm thinking about is my relationship with mom, because like you said, um, I don't really have or never had like a profound relationship with my dad. However, I also do right now I'm reflecting on how having an anxious uh, attachment style actually really does re- relate to my dad, because my dad is as much of a not cool person (laughs) that he is he um was really interested in uh watching like old movies and I remember uh one moments in my life where I would always go at the end of the day my dad would always watch the Andy Griffith show or we'd watch you know around Christmas time we'd watch White Christmas um all those other cool Christmas old Christmas movies um, and, and that was just something that we did and I would always just, you know, sit in, in my dad's office and we'd like watch movies on his computer or do something like that. And that was something that we did every single day. And that wasn't any sort of, um, like emotional connection. It wasn't like we were like spending quality time together, really getting to know each other, but it was just a moment of like being with my father and not being afraid of him and just relaxing and laughing together and enjoying the show. So that was 
um, also because a lot of what an anxious attachment style is, is the unorganization of the relationship. And it really goes to show like having moments with my dad where we were able to just like detox from the day and just really sit down and like watch TV together. And then the next morning he's just like fucking crazy. So, and then just being like avoidant, like I don't want anything to do with you. Like I'm just going to go hide in my room. So yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of a harder relationship to um, expand on, but I can do, I can see um, the, the, the effects of that relationship as well. You know what, as you're talking, I'm totally having a revelation here. So like walk through this with me, you know, let's think about all the times that dad did connect with us as kids. Okay. They were always around topics or things that he was interested in. Yes. How often did dad ever try to connect with us on something we were interested in? Absolutely. And that's like, never, I, that's, right? Yeah, never. And uh, like I was saying with the movies, like the only reason why that, like for me, I would engage in that is because we didn't have a TV growing up. So mm-hmm. any sort of entertainment was extremely entertaining. So if my dad is going to be in his office watching something that he's interested in, of course, I'm going to come follow along and then I'm going to be entertained by it because I have nothing better to be entertained by but you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right like there was nothing like I never came to my dad and was like I'm really interested in this let's go like engage in this like there was none of that like he was never interested in what we were interested in Mm. you know what I remember because I remember when you took the test about your attachment style and you sent me your results and I was reading the results and it said like with your attachment, like the anxious attachment style, that it's easy to lose yourself in trying to people please the other person or like Ugh. you lose yourself, <laughs> right? You lose yourself yeah. because you're sacrificing elements of yourself to try to connect with another person. And it totally yeah. like when you said, when you started talking about dad, I started thinking about all the times in my life as well that I would have a connection with dad and it was never him seeking a connection with me. It was me trying to connect with him on something he was interested Mm -hmm. in that, that I otherwise would have not been into if it wasn't for him. And it made me, I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like having like a revelation right now, like your thing. And now I'm thinking about like relationships in my life where I like, there'll be something I'm not really interested in. But I will try just to connect with the other person. And I don't know if that's always, I don't know if that's always a bad thing. But when we start to sacrifice our own authenticity to connect with this other person and they're not reciprocating it, that's bad. Damn, that you really hit me with that one. (laughs) Because I I struggled with the same thing. And I, in, in moments in my life, like I felt like, Um, Like when, so when I was younger in like high school and, you know, I'd have like my friends and we'd be like constantly texting each other, which is like that, that dies when you become an adult. Like you don't just text people like that anymore. (laughs) Um, But I remember when I was younger and I would be texting my friends and I would be like, have to constantly remind myself like, okay, like stop talking about yourself, like listen to your friend and you know, because we, so we get absorbed in our own lives and we sit there and, oh, my God, guess what happened today? Sort of situations. And I used to do that a lot. And I would have to constantly remind myself, like, OK, Agnes, stop talking about yourself. Ask this person, like text this person how their day was and listen to them. 
So in my life now, I feel like that that reminder is still constantly going off in my head. So when I'm having a conversation with someone or I'm catching up with someone or I'm, you know, having a moment or a a relationship with someone, I am constantly reminding myself, like, stop talking about yourself, stop thinking about yourself and center all of your attention on them to not look like you're self-absorbed or to make the other person feel like they're important. So that has completely manifested into all of my relationships now and has made me feel guilty whenever I want to talk about myself. Mm, Okay. So I've touched on something um, that I discovered when I was researching based on what you were just talking about. So, you know, we've been focusing a lot on the relationship between caregiver and child, but let's also like um, pivot for a moment and talk about how this manifests in our romantic relationships. So, Um, This work uh, is from Hazer and Shaver from the uh, 1980s, and they were really really pinpointing how the attachment style shows up in romantic relationships. And so ambivalent, let's see, ambivalent lovers, I believe that would, hold on, nope, let me back up a second. I'm looking at the preoccupied anxious that's that's the one that came up for you so people Mm -hmm. that have people that tend to gravitate towards like a preoccupied anxious attachment style they tend to have a negative a negative view of themselves but a positive view of other people so it's this like constant like sense of unworthiness being unworthy of other people's attention being unworthy of love and connection from other people and So, and then like constantly trying to please other people so that you can like earn that worthiness to connect with them. So that, that's, wow. Interesting. Yeah. And I have to say that, that I'm 100% like that and I hate to admit it, but I have really deep issues with self-love like it's something that I've struggled with my entire life. I and not to like sound morbid or anything. It's just like. It's, it's the reality. I struggle with that. And I am constantly thinking to myself and I have really like ruined or caused a lot of trauma in my life. And I'm sure you can remember like when I lived in Illinois, it was kind of the same concept. I was, I wasn't in a great position in my life or situation in my life at that point. And I was willing to do anything to appease this person and put this or you know on people and put the center of attention on them so that hopefully at the end of the day I could feel like more self-worth um or feel like I was such a great person for giving this person like the time and space when in reality after all of these years and in this moment right now I'm reflecting back and it's like it never filled me up it never the amount of attention and time and space that I gave to other people that has never made me love myself more. Mm, wow. That's interesting. Like, I mean, that's huge for you to like recognize that at your age too, because I think people can go through their whole lives, like expecting other people to kind of like fill that void that's within, that's within them. And they never examine that and discover that it's through them learning to love themselves that, it creates that beautiful space to like truly connect with other people in like a good and healthy way, you know? And it's like, you know, it's that whole thing of like, we got to fill up our own cup before we can fill other people's cups too. Yeah, absolutely. 
So in your life, how has um, your attachment style been present or has manifested in your past uh, romantic relationships or your current romantic relationship? So I know that like avoidant attachment style, I think that's probably like the main one that shows up in my life, but I've definitely experienced some other ones. So interestingly, when I was married to Brayden's dad, I think I definitely was more on the anxious attachment spectrum. Um, and, you know, I, and I think sometimes there was, there was points where I would kind of like flip back and forth. Um, it was really weird because I, I think too, like... You know, I think, too, that he probably had some like I think we both had like anxious and avoidant attachment styles and we would kind of like flip flop back and forth. So I'm I don't even know if there's like science to back this up, but it's just something like a pattern that I've discovered in my life. And it's whatever attachment style I'm um, I'm sort of in and like behaving from it tends to trigger the opposite in the other person so let me paint a picture of this so like um like my ex-husband and I would get like in really horrible fights and um like what would happen was like we would have a conflict okay and then he would like shut down so he would like go into like his avoidant attachment like he would just shut down and it would cause me to like like turn fucking psycho like I would be like trying so hard to connect with him I would be like screaming and crying and like seeing irrational things just trying to get like a reaction out of him because he would literally just like go stone cold and there was even like I'm, I'm totally gonna call myself out on my own bullshit but like he would like literally like like disconnect from me so much that sometimes he would like pack his shit and like fucking leave like he would just he wouldn't tell me where he was going but he would leave and I would go insane. Like he would be packing his car and I would literally go stand in the driveway so he could not back out of the car or back out of the driveway. And I'd be like screaming. Like, I can't believe no one ever called the cops. Like I would be screaming <laughs> like, you're not fucking leaving this house. You're going to run my ass over before you leave me. Like I was insane. <laughs> and and, and it was just, like, so predictable how these fights would go. And then he would just completely disconnect from me for, like, a week. And it was awful. Like, for a week, I would just be, like, trying and trying and so filled with anxiety to, like, rectify the situation. And then he would kind of, like, gather himself and come back around and want to talk and fix the fight and fix the marriage. And I would fucking shut down. <laughs> Oh, and then he, oh I know it's terrible and then he would be trying to like connect with me like hey like I'm ready to work on our marriage and I'm over here like fuck you don't talk to me <laughs> <laughs> so we would just like do this horrible song and dance like every time we had a fight it was awful so like now in my relationship with Casey like I definitely think I've I've done a lot of work like I've done so much work in therapy and I do think that like most of the time we have a pretty secure attachment um however you know when conflict arises which is inevitable in every relationship there's there's some kind of conflict it doesn't have to be violent or anything but just you know you you have disagreements I shut down like I just go straight to avoidant I tend to shut down and then it triggers in Casey that like 
need to connect and he's like trying to connect and he's like what's wrong you're not talking and the more he's like trying to connect the more I push him away and thankfully like because you know he and I have both gone to therapy for years like we're thankfully able to kind of call it out in the moment now which I think is a good thing like this this song and dance will be happening I'll be like pushing him away and he's trying to like connect and then we'll kind of have that moment where we're like, oh, we're doing that thing, aren't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm, yep. Mm, I'm doing my avoidant thing and you're doing your anxious thing. And OK, all right. We need to just kind of like take a second and we're both going to go like just get ourselves calm and grounded again. And then we're going to come back and talk about this, you know. But thankfully, like we're both aware of what tends to happen. And so we're able to work with that. That's good. Yeah. Now, how about you, Agnes? Like, how has this shown up in your relationships? <laughs> well, I oh, come do on, have you to gotta say, fess up. <laughs> ugh, I hate talking about relationships. I feel like I have so much shame around my. I've I've been in two serious relationships, like mo- like most like mostly serious relationships, and I have so much just like ugh, like I fucking hate talking about my first relationship and then my relationship now um I feel so like pretty secure in it and then I don't I don't like talking about it because I feel like Patrick and I were in such like a bubble like and I feel very protective over like our relationship so I'm not like the one on Instagram that's like oh my god my boyfriend like like I'm not I don't those people annoy me I know (laughs) I mean like go you (laughs) No, I'm like so judgmental of people that constantly post about their relationship. I'm like, oh, there's some shit going down at home. They're compensating for something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I I just like, I don't know. I feel like posting on social media is exhausting. So I just like to keep like my relationship like mostly out of that. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, with my first relationship, so I was 15 years old when I met him. And we broke up when I was 16. And it was one of those like book like or movie worthy like first love situations. And it was like the super toxic, unhealthy, like raging fire love that is just like crashes and burns. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, it, the, like the obsession with the, like the, the emotional yeah. highs and lows. Yeah. Oh yeah, like like you're on ecstasy like the entire relationship. That's what it was. And with this boy, I was so like I remember he was the one that had initiated the relationship and I he was at a point in my life where I just didn't really like I wasn't looking for any sort of relationship and um I was just trying to like focus on school and and he was kind of the first boy that really started like he would like call me beautiful and like really like go out of his way to be there and like show his interest in me so after a while like a few months I finally was like started to like feel really feel flattered by this and feel really connected and um then we began a relationship which went quote-unquote well for a while um and then he had to move away for the summer and we had to do kind of like a long distance situation for the summer. So this ex-boyfriend of mine had a really bad um, past. Like he was on probation for um, just like 
for a drug situation like he he just like really did not have a lot of good um, things going for him at that point of his life like he was addicted to drugs he was involved with like a lot of really fucked up shit like I remember um you know talking to him he's like yeah like I did ecstasy last night and this time I took a Xanax and this and this and I'm like 16 years old like I've never smoked weed before like I don't <laughs> like it was really like crazy for me but it was like that sort of situation where it's like um like I wanted to fix him and this is like where mm. the anxious attachment style comes where I had this like obsession with fixing him because I've at this point we've been together for however long and I was like I felt so attached to the attention and the validity that he had given me that far in the relationship and he was definitely like a popular kid and um, back home where he lived in California like he was just like super popular and going to all the parties and and like doing all the drugs and like he was super cool and so I got so wrapped up in my head around this whole idea of being accepted by someone like that so this caused the worst fucking like anxiety for me and that entire summer it was just like me constantly waiting at my phone waiting for him to text me or to call me or to just give me an ounce of affection because I literally lived off of it and I before this uh, episode today I was looking at TikToks about attachment style and it was showing the different people and how they reacted to um, their boyfriend or their crush or whatever not texting them back and it, it was like different scenarios like oh they don't care or um, they they try to distract themselves and the one for um, anxious attachment was like constantly checking your phone it's like okay they didn't text me <laughs> Okay, try to distract yourself. Let's read a book. Reads a sentence. Let's look at my phone again. It's just constant <laughs> back and forth. And that's what it was like. I was just so fucking obsessed with this relationship. And I was getting nothing out of it. It was just like so much energy. And it was like he he was, well, but just to uh, spoiler, he was cheating on me. <laughs> so <laughs> so at, at the point, and this is where I say like I have an avoidant slash anxious attachment style. Um, after our relationship had crashed and burned and it was super fucking dramatic, um, like there was all these principles and people involved. <laughs> it really, really was not good. Um, I had then like a few weeks after we had officially broken up, found out that he was majorly cheating on me like just like relentlessly sleeping with multiple girls like it was uh, like not like it was surprising but like at that point I had started to develop a um like an avoidant attachment to this and after I had found out that he was cheating on me it was just like whatever fuck him like I don't care <laughs> <laughs> And so I was never really able to allow myself to grieve this whole situation. And so it took me a really long time for me to come to terms with the fact that this person that I was so fucking obsessed with and had so much um, attachment around and like I, I really thought that he was like in love with me and that this person's love for me was um, proved my worth and then and then realizing that like none of that was real so that to me was the biggest heartbreak and what really caused so much trauma for me so 
that was probably like what like five six years ago a long time yeah. ago and I I'm at a point now in my life like where I'm past that and now I'm able to like look at that and just be like okay like we were kids and like I I'm able to like now recognize the issues like firsthand and like how none of that has anything to do with my worth and thankfully now I'm in my relationship now where I that's not at all like a reality so that's just to show like having an anxious attachment style and like a super toxic unhealthy relationship especially in high school so now moving forward (laughs) such a long story um (laughs) to my relationship now with Patrick and I have he's mostly has like a secure attachment style he's just like pretty like if people have met Patrick he's just like the most like chilled out person you have ever met (laughs) like if I ever like if you ever ask him like like I'll be like babe do you have anxiety right now and he's like like what the fuck are you talking about like he's just like this special breed that just like goes with life and they're just like enjoying life and just like really living it up because I'm so jealous of that I know right (laughs) um but for myself I get like super anxious sometimes and um like for example Saturdays are cleaning days and cleaning I was on the phone with you yesterday, Margaret. I was not okay. (laughs) So I get very hot-headed when it's cleaning day because Mm -hmm. I feel all of this anxiety around um, having to, like, get things done quickly. And I'm also in school full-time, so that just does not help whatsoever. And it's like I told Patrick, okay, you clean the downstairs. I clean the upstairs. Let's team tag this. Get this done before noon. Just get it out of the way. So he had, I'm just like going all up and like exposing this entire situation, (laughs) but he had cleaned the downstairs and I was cleaning the upstairs and I go downstairs after like, I'm like scrubbing away. Like I've got like chemical burns on my hands. I'm like all like angry that I had to clean. And I go downstairs and I see that the stove wasn't wiped down. So immediately (laughs) I am fucking pissed because I'm like in my head and I'm not like being a like a being a bitch because I'm like mad or whatever but in my head I'm getting all of these signals that are saying he doesn't love you he doesn't care about you he has no like um no regard for the amount of work that you're putting in and he just wants you to work extra hard and he only wants to put in 10% while you put in 90% like I have this shit like going off in my head so I immediately just get all of this anxiety so then I start acting like a fucking psycho and I'm like there's shit on the fucking stove you go Kurt mode (laughs) yeah Kurt's our father I just go fucking Kurt mode like (laughs) and Patrick's just like bro like it smells nice down here like the floors were done I don't know why you're being fucking crazy (laughs) so after me acting like a fucking psycho he is like now kind of avoidant he's like okay well I don't want to talk to you because you're being fucking crazy so I go up to him and I'm like I'm like, why? I'm like, babe, why are you mad at me? Why are you mad at me? (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Because I'm over it at this point. Like, the house is clean, but he's just, like, done with my shit because I'm acting fucking crazy. 
and I so then I get all like like pushy and anxious and I'm like oh my god are you mad at me like why are you mad at me and he's like like it's fine like I'm not mad at you you just need to like chill out like it's just the cleaning and it's just kind of like just goes to show like it ended up being fine like we're not like gonna fucking like kill each other (laughs) but it just goes to show that it's like I'll have all these signals going off in my head when my partner's not giving what I think is 100 percent and mm-hmm. I just like assume that they don't love me. So that gives me anxiety. And then when I act fucking crazy and then they're like annoyed with me being mean, then I get anxiety because then I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to leave me. And like they don't want anything to do with me and they don't love me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think like it's so funny hearing you talk about cleaning because, you know, I hate cleaning, too. And when I'm cleaning, I just like fucking shut down. I'm like so angry and like. We even had a situation, I think it was a few days ago, where, like, I was, like, doing the dishes, and, like, Casey was, I don't know, trying to talk to me about something, and I was, like, not responding, and he's, like, babe, like, I'm talking to you, why are, why are, like, what's going on, like, your face looks like, 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 you're really mad right now, and I'm, like, what do you think? I'm doing the fucking dishes, okay? I'm over here just <laughs> fantasizing about dying, because I don't have to fucking do it anymore. <laughs> he's, like, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah no I just kind of like shut down and go inward and just start brooding about things and I have a hard time like expressing it but like that's so interesting though hearing about like that dynamic that played out between you and Patrick because it makes me feel like okay like I'm not crazy like there's something to that when one person like tends to step into a set of behaviors it seems to like elicit the opposite in the other person and I don't know if it's because like in maybe in a relationship we're always trying to like seek some kind of like an equilibrium like seek a balance and so when one person's doing one thing maybe the other person's trying to like balance it out like especially if one person's like taking an extreme behavior or an extreme stance maybe the other person's trying to like counter that out and maybe it's not conscious but we're like trying to seek that you know seek that balance point between the two people oh absolutely and I feel like it it's even worse too like as a woman because I have so much fear around um being taken advantage of or just having to like put in all of this effort while the man doesn't because that's such a common thing that we see in so many people's lives currently and then also like growing up and being around a father who literally just didn't give a fuck about taking care of anybody and never cooked dinner and never ever did the dishes and Mm -hmm. pretty much never did anything and Mm -hmm. it's that gives me so much fear so it's like when I'm in a relationship and I feel like I'm giving like this certain percentage and the other person's not giving as much just because it's like it's just life it's not anything like personal or it or it's in my head like a lot of the times it's like in my head that I think that like I'm being punished and like I'm in now in a position where as a woman I have to um, I'm being abused or taken advantage of. Mm. when in reality it's just trauma (laughs) yep right I was just gonna say (laughs) yeah I was just gonna say I think like all the girls in our family struggle with that trauma to some degree I mean I think women just women in general like we live in a patriarchal society you know so I think yeah us as women we have to protect ourselves like 
And I'm not saying this like, oh, you should bypass like your man not doing anything. Like, no, fuck that. If your man's being lazy, get his ass off the couch. <laughs> but like, but like, yeah, it, it really is a lot of like protection that goes in the play. Like I have so many um, borders and boundaries like put up for myself to like protect myself from being fallen victim to like domestic violence or abuse or being taken advantage of or anything like that like it, it really terrifies me so I just have all of these like signals and alarms that go off on my go off in my head when any of those like boundaries or borders could be threatened mm, yeah can I share with you um, some of the different types of dynamics that play out between people like with different attachment styles so actually when you were talking about your ex-boyfriend um that actually would fit the profile of an ambivalent or the ambivalent lovers so (laughs) here's just some bullet points of of what that looks like um obsession desire for reciprocation emotional highs and lows extreme sexual attraction extreme oh jealousy this is so embarrassing Stop it. <laughs> no it's not embar- okay okay i'm not gonna gaslight you i get it it's embarrassing but i i've i've had relationships with the same thing too so you're not alone okay <laughs> um falls in love easily um believes that unfading what hold on what did i write down can't even read my own fucking handwriting <laughs> believes that unfading love is difficult to find and has tends to have a cold relationship with their parents. So that's the ambivalent lovers. The avoidant lovers. Ding, ding, me. <laughs> Fear of intimacy. Oh, my God. Problem. That is the struggle of my life. It's like I have this, like, desire for intimacy, but I'm so fucking terrified of it at the same time. Ugh, I understand that. <laughs> also, emotional highs and lows. Um, believes. Ooh. Mm, believes that love rarely lasts. Ooh, that, uh, that hits me. I am like, I am like the, think of the most romantic person, you know, I am the complete fucking opposite. (laughs) I'm like, so, and not, I don't even know. I just don't like, I see fairy tales and I'm like, fucking bullshit. It's not real, man. (laughs) So like, but yeah, I'm like happily in a, in a healthy relationship, but I just am, I'm such a, like a love skeptic. I don't know. And also has a cold relationship with parents. And then what we all want to have, the secure lovers, happy, trusting, supportive, feeling or accepting that feelings can wax and wane. So, you know, there's 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 flexibility there. Um, has warm relationships with their partner and other people and has a warm relationship with their parents. So that's kind of a little bio right there of what a healthy secure relationship looks like which I think thankfully I have most of the time and I think you do too Agnes I think we've thankfully are in like healthy relationships where most of the time we're able to be in that space yeah yeah so (laughs) (laughs) you didn't sound super sure right there no I do it's just interesting (laughs) how how as you're saying all that I feel like it's just such a mixture because us as humans we're we're so like unreliable when it comes to our behaviors and we go through such different seasons of our lives and it's crazy how different you know times and situations can affect like relationships but yeah like for the most part like it's I'm really grateful that I have integrated healthy 
um, behaviors and habits in my relationship. But that does not go to go to show that like any relationship is perfect or anything like that. And please, if anyone compares their relationships to things that they see on social media, just please stop it because it's yeah, not, not at all. It, yeah. And I mean, yeah, they may like love each other unconditionally. Like I'll post on Instagram, like a picture of Patrick and be like, oh my God, like love of my life. And that is true. Like, like it's not saying that that's not true, but there is humans are so complex and you should not base or compare yourself to something that is perceived to be perfect. Yeah, because anytime you do see something on social media, I mean, people are only showing you like the the best moments um, in their in their day or in their life. You know, you don't see everything else that goes into it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's just. And I also have to, to say that before we go out, um, everything about this episode is just like a direct correlation of internalized capitalism, which is our last episode. <laughs> so. <laughs> I feel like with this whole fucking issue with internalized capitalism, like a lot of these issues would be fixed. And that's just like a whole other spectrum because we think about the way that our parents raised us and how, mm-hmm. and why our parents raised us the way that they did. And a lot of that is around the environment that capitalism has created in America. And then also now, like the issues that I have now, like I was talking about the situation with cleaning the house and how it's a fucking shit show it's like yeah because I just worked 40 out 40 55 hours this last week and it wasn't fun and it's Saturday and I'm fucking exhausted and I don't even have a minute to like sit down and enjoy my life because of this issue of capitalism and it has now manifested into um, unhealthy behaviors Yeah, actually, you know what, that since you're touching on that, like you're kind of taking it to a more collective level here and talking about internalized capitalism. But as we close out here, I do want to just share a profile um, that really just had my wheels spinning a little bit. And this is kind of the profile of the adult that tends to have the dismissive avoidant attachment style, which is like what I suffer from. I'm going to read this and just tell me what you think of this. Just think of it as like a collective or like just like an overall profile of like a, like a group of people here. Positive um, self-image, but negative self or negative image of others. Avoids intimacy. Hyper-focused on independence and invulnerability. And downplays attachment and connection to other people. I sat with that earlier and I was like, oh my God, this is like the profile of like whole generations of people living in the United States under capitalism with the disgusting culture that we have of the rugged individual, right? Who pulls themselves up by their bootstraps, who makes something of themselves out of nothing with no help from anybody. That is like literally the avoidant profile within a, with an adult. And I think that that is like, like, I think if, I think if you could put a profile or a label on like the American population, I bet you, and I want to look this up now, I bet you that the avoidant attachment style is probably one of the most common. Like think about the entire like baby boomer generation and the way they were raised, like the corporal punishment, the fathers that were completely like cold and disconnected from their children, 
you know, like the mothers burdening all of the stress and responsibility at home and not having the ability to connect with their children. And then that trails down to Gen X and down to the millennial, my generation and down to your generation. Like, I think that like, this is a problem in our culture. Like, really? So I don't know, just some thoughts that I have. (laughs) Amen to that. Yep. All right. Now we got to talk about what we're grateful for. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Agnes, what are you grateful for today? I am grateful for, oh my God. I (laughs) I don't mean to sound like that. I am grateful for um, self-awareness. I uh, feel like this episode was a lot of self-awareness and I haven't really talked about like stuff like that, like my last relationship and just really going into detail about like stuff that I struggle with in my current relationship and um, just really calling myself out and just really recognizing the shit that I've been through and why I act the way that I act in certain moments um, and all of that is just um, around self-awareness. So I'm really grateful for that. And what about you, Margaret? Today, I'm actually grateful for rest and sunshine. Um, today's Sunday and I was able to, I'm sorry. I know you didn't get downtime to rest, but I did. I'm very grateful for it. I had a few hours where I was able to like literally do nothing. And um I found I'm, I'm also including sunshine in this because I'm, I'm I love the couch like I'm a couch potato and the sun was in like the perfect spot this afternoon when I was laying on the couch that I literally could open the window like the screen and everything like I opened the whole window and when I was laying on the sofa the sun was like hitting my face and I literally just like laid there on the sofa in my pajamas with my blanket with my eyes closed with like my face bathing in sunlight and it was just like this moment of like heaven for like an hour it was so great I'm so jealous (laughs) and I'm grateful that you got to experience that that sounds very special thank you We believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out, and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username Unrefined Woman, and on Instagram at Unrefined Woman Podcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye.